all my thoughts are trapped in an electronic stick and therefore not available to me. So I've put what I can remember down on a piece of paper and uh, we'll see if you get the same sermon I was intending to preach or something completely different. So this passage in John is um, an interesting one and it's quite a popular story. So you'll remember what we were looking at last week. We were looking at Jesus turning water into wine, that great celebration at the wedding at Cana. And this story in in John's gospel comes straight afterwards. So um, he's been at Cana, and then it says, after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we've got the time of the Passover, Jesus going up to Jerusalem, and you have an enormous contrast between Jesus, the -the behind-the-scenes party facilitator, who's providing an extraordinary excess of wine, which probably some people will misuse, but he's not sort of Caring about that, he's just giving in excess an extraordinary image of God's sort of uh, beneficence and, and, and giving to us. And then in this next passage, we have a totally different picture. We have Jesus as a righteous person, fired up with zeal for God to such an extent that he drives out a whole marketplace. Now, there is um, a similar account in uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels as well. Um, But it's interesting because it comes at the end of those Gospels. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to refer to this, you can look at Matthew 21 and it's verse 12. It's about page 987 in the Bibles, uh, if I'm looking in the right place. 989. Um, In Matthew's Gospel, in the other synoptic Gospels, so Luke and Mark, the account of the cleansing of the temple, as it's often referred to, comes after Palm Sunday. So the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the huge crowds cheering Jesus. And then Jesus goes into the temple and throws out the money changes, and the people who were selling doves and other sacrificial animals. Now, just as an aside, for those of you who like sort of theological debate, there is a bit of a theological debate as to whether this is two incidents or whether it's one, and for some reason John has decided to put it at the beginning of his gospel when the other um, accounts put it at the end of Jesus' ministry. Frankly, I don't think that matters but you're welcome to go away and read up on that if you enjoy debating whether there were two or one incidents. The key thing, it seems to me, is to understand the context. So this is the Passover. This is the great Jewish feast when tradition was that if you could, you went to Jerusalem to the temple to celebrate the Passover, gathered with your friends, gave sacrifices in the temple. And there are several Passover sort of uh, points in Jesus' ministry, and he's often in Jerusalem experiencing these enormous crowds. 
Now, in terms of Judaic law, if you went to the temple to give a sacrifice, the sacrifice had to be perfect. It had to be a really high-quality animal. Now, if you're traveling a long distance, the chance of you getting an animal with you all that way in high quality by the time it arrives is pretty slim. So generally speaking, people would travel with cash and then buy an animal to sacrifice. So that's why you had people selling animals um, around the temple. The money changers were because uh, there was a Jewish sort of tax, if you like, a Jewish contribution, first mandated um, by Moses, where they had to give half a shekel each year to the temple, to, to fund the temple. And again, it was another sort of uh, sacrifice, personal sacrifice, to show that you were honoring God and supporting the temple. Now, that half shekel um, couldn't be given in any coinage. So it couldn't be given in Roman coins or Greek coins or, or Egyptian or whatever it was that you came with. Remember, Jews coming from all over the sort of the Roman Empire. Because a lot of those coins would have had images of emperors or gods on them. They would have been blasphemous uh, in a temple context. So the Jews had to change their money, their daily money, into temple money. Now you can probably immediately begin to sort of sense the commercial opportunity here. So you've got massive, massive demand, absolutely sort of fixed demand. People have got to have the animals and they've got to have the money. So the big temptation is to rock up there with a lot of animals and sit there with a lot of temple money and then charge exorbitant prices. And that appears to be exactly what was going on in the account in Matthew when Jesus uh, throws the animals and the people out. He says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And in the John account, the disciples afterwards remember the fact that it talks about it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus was being zealous for God. He was passionate for God. He was consumed by the wrongness of what was being done in the house of God. Bearing in mind that this marketplace, this sort of corruption, was happening in the temple. The temple, you may remember, was a series of sort of courts going in ultimately to the Holy of Holies. And this was probably the court of the Gentiles, the outermost court, a very big area, which had been designed by the temple builders as an area for Gentiles to come into the presence of God without becoming Jews, but still to come into the presence of God and to worship God and to pray to him. And here was this area of prayer being turned into a marketplace, but worse than that, a center of corruption and injustice and particularly ripping off the poor, which just as an aside is why the, the dove handlers get a specific mention because the doves were the smallest sacrifice that you could reasonably afford as a poor person and likely they had the highest markup. So that's the context, that's the picture. It's the Passover, Jesus in the temple, consumed with passion because of what's going on in God's house. So I guess the question then is, was Jesus a zealot? 
Because we see lots of examples around us these days of people who are zealots. Um, If somebody was to say to me, I think you're a zealot, I'm not sure I'd take that as a compliment. Because I think these days, zealot has connotations of sort of irrational fire. The ultimate extreme end of zealotism, if you like, of being a zealot, is probably to strap on a suicide belt and find a crowded airport tube station marketplace and express your zealotry by wiping out other people. But sometimes people talk about Jesus in this context as though he's a zealot. He's consumed with passion for God and he wants to clean out the unworthy. Is that what was going on? Well, probably the passage that the disciples were remembering um, comes from Ephesians. And it's interesting, uh, sorry, not Ephesians, Isaiah. Ephesians obviously written later. Um, If I can find Isaiah, here we go. Isaiah 59, and again, can't show you on the screen, so you'll have to use the Kindle without a battery that you have in front of you. Isaiah 59 um, from verse 1. And it's talking about the Lord. And in fact, if you go to verse 15, the second half of verse 15, very interesting that the disciples should be picking up on Jesus having zeal for the Lord. Because Isaiah verse 15, it says, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled. There was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplates, the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So that's what the disciples were remembering when they saw Jesus in the temple. So they didn't see somebody looking at a bunch of sinners and wanting to drive them out with a whip. They saw the arm of God acting against injustice, wrapped in zeal like a cloak. And it's interesting, that passage about the the helmet of uh, salvation and the breastplate of righteousness Um, That, of course, is echoed by Paul in the New Testament when he encourages us to put on the full armor of God. Now, he doesn't actually mention the zeal as a cloak, that we should put on that as well. But I think once you've got your armor on, you don't want it to get rusty, so you might as well put a cloak on over the top. I think we can probably take it by inference that if a cloak of zeal was good enough for God in Isaiah then it's probably an appropriate outer wrapping for us as we put on the full armor of God. But what is the zeal for? It's zeal to deal with injustice. God is not calling us to be zealous 
in wiping out sin. Think about it the other way around. What is God zealous for? God is zealous for us. Our bodies, our minds and our souls are described again by Paul as a temple. We are the temple of God. So God wants to look at us and see a temple that is a house of prayer and not a den of robbers. He wants to look at us and see that we are behaving like those who are called to be holy. And he wants us to be zealous for him. He wants there to be mutual passion. But think about how that passion is to be expressed. And again, jumping to Matthew, Matthew 22. So coming after the cleansing of the temple. Matthew 22, verse 37. An expert of the law comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And we know the answer well, don't we? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's how we should have zeal for God all-consuming, all-encompassing, heart, soul, and mind. Every aspect of us should be focused on our love for God. But that's not the only commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, Jesus says to his Jewish audience, the whole of the Torah, all hang on those two commandments. And you get the same passage in Mark and Luke as well. And it's interesting, isn't it? Think back to that prayer of confession that we were praying at the beginning of the service. We were praying for the situations where we had not been compassionate, where we had not been just or where we had not dealt with injustice. Think about what's going on in Sudan at the moment, and South Sudan. Think about what's going on in our own country, in our own neighborhood. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So when we think about Jesus being consumed by zeal for God and zeal for the house of God. Think about a couple of things. Think about the fact that God has that level of passion for you. That's how much you matter to God. That's how much the state of your life, my life, your mind and my mind, that's how much... That matters to God. God wants to come and inhabit us as a temple to him. And he wants us to be right with him. And he will do, he has done, everything possible to make that happen. 
He's paid the ultimate sacrifice. And now he wants to come and inhabit us and live with us and walk with us. Because he is so zealous for us as his temples. But the flip side of that is he calls us to be zealous as well. To be zealots, but zealots in a good way. Zealots not passionate to make other people righteous. Not passionate to make other people like us. But passionate for justice, for equality. Passionate for loving our neighbours as we love ourselves and as God loves us. And if we can truly inhabit that relationship with God and experience his love for us, then we begin to be empowered to do a much more difficult thing, which is to love our neighbours as ourselves. But that is what we are called to do with the zeal that remembers that they too have the potential to be temples to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have so much zeal and passion for us that you died and took our sins upon you, but that you rose again to show that death has no hold over you and that we can now live in that promise that death has no hold over us once we're in your presence, held by your hand that nothing can separate us from you. Lord, as we celebrate communion today, let us remember that sacrifice and be inspired by your love to love our neighbours as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.